As some of you know, uh, a couple years ago, Shauna, my wife, and Allison, Timothy, and Titus, our, our kids, and me began uh, this journey of uh, South Sudan and living there uh, part of the year and being here part of the year and just kind of going back and forth, which has been uh, an amazing experience of seeing God move uh, like I've never seen before. I have so many testimonies of the power and greatness of God, so many miracles that have taken place, so many miracles that have taken place, and so many people who have begun to follow Jesus, so many churches that have been planted, and far more this year probably than ever before will be planted. There's so much to celebrate, but one of the great challenges in that just speaking very transparently, has been um, with, with hope, my salary moving to part-time, and then us feeling this conviction of, of God not to go around and ask for financial support, but instead just to lean in on Him and trust for Him to provide, which has been really hard. It's easier to do it yourself, you know what I mean? Like to take the responsibility on yourself and to feel like by your own willpower, your own strength, or your own strategy, you can try to do something. When God releases you to do that, you sort of feel at least as a, as a productive American that you're doing something. When you're really dependent just on prayer and God to move, it stretches you. I had read for years those stories of Hudson Taylor and, and uh, so many others who were just so dependent on God. They never went and asked for financial support. Uh, but for me, it was a first, and it was an immense challenge, especially when uh, we were just out of money. And then God provided, and then we were out again, and then he provided, and it happened four times. And I thought in the scriptures things would happen three times or seven, you know what I mean? I'm hoping it was three plus one. We ended up on a fourth time, and it was, it was, it was rough. We were in a bad, bad spot. And I was praying, we were praying and just leaning in and I just kept begging God just to speak. And one day I felt this sense that that there were two things, I can't remember which order it was in, but I think the first one was the sense that uh, by Friday of that week, uh, God was going to have provided for us. Now, I don't know about you, but in those moments when you're trying to, to hear the voice of God, uh, all of a sudden I'm thinking, is that, is that myself just because I, I want this so badly, or is this really the voice of the living God? Then the second thing was just this sense that it was going to come from someplace I did not expect. Went through the week. I am eyeballing Friday. I begin looking at my schedule on Friday. I, I know it's coming from someplace I don't expect, but still, I'm, I'm looking. I'm trying to... Trying to figure it out, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Friday rolls around. You start going through the day on Friday, and morning passes, and nothing's happened. We're going in the afternoon. I'm questioning, and was, was that really the impression of the Holy Spirit on my heart or not? Went through the afternoon, and I finished, uh, I finished the work day. I had a coffee with, uh, with some people, and then I just had a phone call um, uh, on the way as I was driving back home. That phone call uh, was with a guy who I was in high school with, but I hadn't talked to him since then. And so I jumped on the phone. I wasn't thinking about anything. And, and um, all of a sudden, I just started, started talking and catching up. And, and uh, he said, well, you know, um, I was at your parents' church in Mississippi when you were there um, like six months ago. It was your first time there. And 
like a year and a half. It was my first time there in two years, but we happened to be there on the same Sunday, and I heard you speak about South Sudan. I've been talking with my wife uh, for the last several months, and we just want to know if we can make a generous gift to you. And he told me how much it was, and I started crying. And it was one of the most dangerous drives home that day, trying to see through the tears until I got home. And when I got home, Sean and the kids were out. I opened the door, I hit the floor, and I began to sob. And I had a prevailing emotion that just locked me down, just pinned me to the ground. And it was a fear of the living God. It certainly was gratitude. It certainly was joy. It certainly was relief. But more than anything else, it was, God, you are unbelievable. You do what you want to do, when you want to do it, and however you want to do it. And I just want to tell you, Hope Family, I don't know what you're praying for tonight, but God can do it. However he wants to do it, whenever he wants to do it, the living God can just make it happen. And I was so overwhelmed with a fear of God. Now, I don't know about you, when I was growing up, fear of God was defined for me in the church circles that I went to as you're not necessarily scared of him, but you just have a reverence and awe of him, which I think is pretty good. It's a pretty good definition. But I will say there is a tinge of fear as in, I'm scared of you. You are so powerful and so great, and I am riddled with sin, and I am weak, and I am very, very in touch with my humanity. I remember a time I was in Canada, a friend of mine, pastor up there, his church experiencing a powerful move of God, radical stories of what God was doing. I came into the church building with him. Nobody was in there. It was during the week. And he walks into the sanctuary and he says, whenever I walk into the sanctuary, I take my shoes off because there's such a presence of God in this place. And so I did the same. I just followed my pastor friend. I walked in. And as soon as I walked in, I wanted to walk out. There was such an unreal sense of the presence and power of God, his holiness, my sinfulness. And it just made me want to walk out. He showed me a couple different places within the sanctuary, took me up on stage. And it was an experience I'd never had before. Now, it probably sounds strange. It would have sounded strange to me before I had that experience. But there have just been those times and places in life more and more the last few years of an encounter with the living God that I don't know how to put into words. And you don't have to believe my encounter or relate to it in the sense that it's, it's my encounter, it's my story, your story is your story. But these have been such profound encounters for me feeling the, the weight of the divine presence of an all-encompassing, all-consuming, all-knowing, all-powerful God who is so infinitely great and I am so minuscule and small. Now the problem for you and me is that it it grates straight against our culture in America today in 2020 where we really have a tough time of trying to grasp the transcendence of God. What we like to embrace is the idea that God is close and personal and he loves us and we are safe in him, all of which is profoundly true. He loves us more than we can understand. We are safer than we will ever know. His warmth is greater and richer and deeper around us. His grace and his mercy just saturates us. That is so far greater than we can fathom. But 
What's happening, I think, in our culture is that we are closer to grasping that truth of God than we are to grasping the truth of God's transcendence, his majestic power and imminent glory. And the problem is that our culture so struggles with that. Because if that's true, if God is really, really great and powerful and mighty and strong and beyond imagination in his majesty, then we no longer need to try to act like we're controlling things or have fear or have anxiety. When we pray, we pray with expectation because isn't this easy for God anyway? There's no miracle for him. He's just doing what he does. When the elections are going on, we're not all panicked. God's got this. He's massive. When we look at COVID and the world's getting ravaged and there's a new strain coming out in the UK and the US is hitting numbers it's never hit, it's okay. God's on his throne. He loves us more than we can ever fathom. And his power and greatness is unchanging. And so we just rest in him. Life looks far different for you and me if we're really willing to embrace who God is. But what it means is that we've got to give up trying to be in control, which is what perhaps our greatest addiction is in this culture. This feeling that we we not only can control things, but we, we want to control things, and we struggle immensely with the idea of releasing that to God. Now, God can be all warm and close to us, and his imminence we can grasp, and then we can still try to go out and control things. But we've got to be able to completely release that control in the light of the majesty of who he is. I think the disciples were encountering some of that today in Matthew chapter 8. So if you're there with me, I'm going to say it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, though I'll probably say that next week and the following week as well. But I absolutely love this story from Matthew chapter 8. We're in verse 23. And when he got into the boat, this is Jesus. He'd been traveling around, ministering to people. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Verse 24, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. You can always tell people who are good at not being in control because they rest well. Or to say it the other way around, when you find people who struggle resting, you often find people who struggle not being in control. Here's Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, asleep on a boat. There's a big storm going on. The disciples are afraid that they're about to be killed. Uh, They are trying to do the work of getting the other side, and Jesus is allowing them to do it. There's a profound lesson even before we've gotten to the heart of the story. Because here's Jesus traveling around. Masses are coming to him. Miracles are being done. He's saying these incredible things that people have never heard before. And then they get in the boat, and he falls asleep. How many leaders can you think of today who struggle letting their people um, do what they should do because they just want to be in control? What a mind-blowing thought that Jesus could just get in this boat and go to sleep even while the storm is coming on. Probably because he just had such a sense of the majesty of his father. He was okay. He knew that God was in control. I want to encourage us to be a people who rest well, who can just lay in the bed, commit things to the Lord, 
and just rest. I struggle with that sometimes. We probably all do. But I think a sign of maturity in the faith is a picture of someone who's just sleeping and resting well. One of my, one of my professors when I was in seminary used to say, rest is holy. It was a new thought for me. I never thought about that. Rest is holy. That's the whole point of the seventh day of creation, that rest is holy. He lived it out for me one day. I had a big assignment that was due, and I slept through my alarm. Class started at 8 o'clock, and I remember by the time I woke up, class was about to end. I grabbed this project I'd stayed up super late on, working on. I knew it was due at the beginning of class, and so here I was thinking I'm in major trouble. I just start dashing across campus with my project to try to get it to him. And I just went straight to his office um, because I knew I was too late to catch him in class. And he started walking um, from class to the office. I, I waited like a minute or two and he walked up. I felt horrible, consumed with shame and guilt that I had slept in and everything in my perfectionist body was aching for all the fellow perfectionists. You'll know what I was feeling. And uh, there I was just waiting for him to come. Uh, he shows up and I said, I'm so sorry. I slept through my alarm. I missed class. I had the assignment done uh, last night, but I, I apologize. I'm so sorry. And I just felt horrible. He looked at me and he said, I'll take your assignment. And I'm glad you got to sleep. You probably needed it. The grace of God, the power of God, the mercy of God, and this professor living out that truth, that rest is holy. If you've been here for a while, you've heard that story before because it impacted me so deeply. This idea that rest is so significant for us. And here's Jesus. You would think he wants to maximize out these three years of ministry that he has on this earth. But he still takes time to rest because it indicates that God is still on his throne. And he got into the boat. His disciples followed him, 23, 24. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. Also begs the question, how is he asleep when the boat's getting swamped by the waves? Maybe water just sprinkling on him. Maybe he's wet, but Jesus was asleep, verse 25. And they went, that's the disciples, and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. I don't know about you, but I love reading through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, getting to get a picture of what the disciples were doing because I so, I so resonate with them, except I don't know if I could have woken Jesus up. You know that feeling of, here's Jesus asleep. Can you really bring yourself to wake him up in those moments? Or at least I think some of us treat him that way sometimes. You know, we're... We're not sure about praying about something because it just feels like it's too small or, or maybe we've prayed about it so many times before. We're just worried about bugging God with that same prayer of that illness we've had for five years or the fact that, that for so long we've, we've wanted kids, we've wanted to be married, we've, we've wanted a different job, whatever, but he just loves to hear the true desires of our hearts. They went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Now, the Bible does not always help us understand the emotion, but there must have been so much emotion packed into this. I mean, the disciples thought that they were dying. We are perishing. Jesus, save us. They wake him up from his sleep, uh, begging for his help. And he said to them, verse 26, Why are you afraid? 
Oh, you of little faith. Then he rose. Now, it's easy to envision that Jesus sprung up. He said, oh, no, we're in trouble. The boat is going to drown. I better do something about it. Then he rebukes the wind of the waves. Everything's calm. Then he turns to the disciples and says, hey, why were you guys scared? It's okay. I'm going to take care of you. But that's not the way it happened. Look at the story here. They went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Verse 26, he woke up. Remember, the, the waves are already, already high. Uh, the boat's being swamped by the waves. So those waves are already coming in. You can envision Jesus. Surely he's feeling the spray of the water. He's feeling wet. He knows this is not a good situation. They already told him, please save us because we're dying. And he says to them, why are you afraid, oh, you of little faith? And then he gets up and does something about it. Jesus, in the midst of the storm, didn't immediately fix the issue. He took a moment just to minister to their hearts. Some of us are in that spot right now. Things we've been praying for and pleading with God for and begging him to move, and he's still doing work on us. He's going to take care of it. The time just hadn't come yet. There's just still more that needs to be framed up in our heart. There's more that he needs to shape and mold. He needs just a little bit more time. I don't know about you, but I've been in those spots where I'm like, Lord, I don't know how much time you need, but can you just go fast? I just desperately need you to finish the work you're doing in me so that we can get on with the whole healing part of this thing. But it's powerful to me and beautiful. Look at how Jesus loved his disciples. Do you know the same reason he's delaying healing what you're asking him for is because he loves you. He loves you so much. He wants you to be molded and shaped and, and more in his image. He's doing something special, powerful, something he won't be able to do in the same way if he heals it first. There's a lesson. There's a, something to take away from it. There's something that he needs to do. And that's exactly what's happening here with the disciples. He says to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. Why are you afraid? Jesus is there. And why are you afraid? The heavenly Father is there. The one who's sovereign over all things. The one who knows the number of hairs on our head. The number of stars in the sky. The God who holds all things in his infinite hands. So Jesus can say to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have, why do you have little faith? And I wonder through 2020, if you can look back with me on last year and, and just say, could Jesus say that to us? The craziness with, with corona or the elections or so much that was happening with a racial divide in our country. There was uncertainty with schools and parents are wondering how they're going to handle homeschooling when they didn't set out to be homeschool teachers. And you had all types of people dealing with all sorts of financial and economic insecurity. If there was a reason to test our anxiety levels, um, it happened last year. And it's an opportunity for us going into 2021 to look back on that and to say, how, 
How did we respond? How did I respond? How did I walk through that time? Could Jesus have looked over at me in the midst of the storm of 2020 and said, Peter, why are you afraid? Oh, you have little faith. It's not that you don't have any faith. You have some, but, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And there's something that I think God has for us and how they responded. Look at this. Then he rose, and what did he do? He took care of the problem. Exactly what they begged him to do. He took care of it. He loved them in the midst of it. He wasn't hung up on the fact that they had little faith. He wanted to teach them and help them and grow them, and he stood up and took care of it. Think about if you have ever had little kids around you, and they come and they ask for something. Do they state it in perfect English? Probably not when they're three years old. Have they been an angel all day? Probably not. They might have been a living terror. But in the midst of that, when they come and ask for something for you, are you paying attention to all of that? No, you just love them. You might take a moment to, to help them. Say, hey, why don't you say it this way or say it that way? Or why don't you calm down first and then I'll, I'll help you with it. But your heart is for love, empathy, compassion. You want to take care of them. God is not looking at us through these eyes of your faith is so little, there's no way I'm going to do that for you. Jesus says to the disciples here, why are you so afraid of you a little faith? Because he doesn't want this to happen the next time and the next time and the next time. He wants them to grow and mature and trust him. But in the midst of that, he just proceeds to take care of the problem because he loves them. He loves you deeply beyond what we can fathom. And love what Jesus does. He rises, he stands up, and he rebukes the winds and the sea, and there is a great calm. Now, an aside here. That word rebuke in the Greek is the same word elsewhere used for Jesus driving a demon out of someone. And so it is quite plausible, I even think likely, that this was a demonically induced storm. This was spiritual warfare. This was the enemy behind the wind and the waves trying to swamp the boat and come after Jesus and the disciples. So when Jesus stands up, he rebukes the wind and the waves. In other words, I think, this is just my opinion, what was actually happening was Jesus rebuking the demonic forces behind the wind and the waves. And immediately there was great calm, if that's true. This could have been the enemy trying to take, take Jesus out. The disciples thought they were perishing. It could have been him at a minimum trying to derail Jesus in, in the ministry and try to inflict harm or pain or do whatever he can. If that's true, it only amplifies what Jesus is saying. Why are you afraid? Oh, you a little faith. Jesus doesn't have fear of nature. He doesn't have fear of demonic forces. You know, it's common for so many of us. We come into Hope Church, and maybe it's your first journey in, in learning about the demonic realm, the angelic realm, spiritual warfare. And uh, for us as a church, so significant because it's all the way through the scriptures, this great battle between God and Satan and something so important for us to be aware of. But Paul says that we are not unaware of the devil's schemes. And so we're taught in the New Testament to make sure that we are very aware and alert. But what often happens to us, we begin to, to grow in that. We start feeling fear. It's the fear of, oh no, they're demonic forces that are opposed to me. And if, if I begin to learn about them, maybe they'll want to come after me even stronger. But it should be the absolute inverse. 
the more you learn about demonic forces, the more equipped you are in prayer to deal with anything the enemy would throw against you, and the more fearful they are of you. I mean, the living God dwells within you. The Spirit of God himself, the Bible says, at the moment of salvation, when we believe that God sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life, to die on a cross and rise from the dead, when we believe that Jesus took our sin upon himself, when we believe that he took the punishment that we deserve, and when we believe that he rose from the dead to give us eternal life. When we believe that, we transfer from the world, from Satan's domain into God's domain, in the kingdom of God, to have an eternity with him. And at that moment, the Bible tells us the spirit of God comes to dwell with us, to live with us. That means God himself is in you. And the Bible says that when demons think about God, they shudder. They are fearful. We always tell our kids The demons are far more scared of you than you are of them because there's something about the power and the presence of God with you. And if this is an accurate interpretation, I think it is, of the demonic forces that were behind the storm that I think were trying to come after Jesus and derail the work that God had sent him to do. Here you have Jesus. Before he even stops the storm, he says to the disciples, Why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Here was Jesus, not fearful in any way of anything that could come against him because he knew, he knew who was on the throne. Look at verse 27. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? Now, it says marveled in Matthew In Mark, in the parallel account, same story, parallel account, it says that the men were terrified when they saw what Jesus has done. They were terrified at Jesus and they said, who is this man? In Luke, it says they marveled and they were afraid when they saw who Jesus was. So it seems like there were two things that were happening. They were marveling at what Jesus had just done. He stood up and he calmed the wind and the waves. The sea was calm. And they were marveling, standing in awe, and they were filled with fear. This sense of who in the world is this? And I just want to suggest, as I did at the beginning, that there is something in our culture that prevents us, or at least makes it hard for us, to stand in awe of the living God. And I'd like to encourage us as a church to Reflect deeply on that in the way that we worship, in the way that we trust God, in the way that we lean in on him. I don't know if you're like me, but anxiety has long, long been an issue for me. The thing that I grapple with more than anything else. And I remember these, these years of just sharing it, confessing it over and over again in my discipleship group. And so many brothers in here just prayed for me and, and fasted for me. And I, I remember being up in Dallas and I was hanging with a guy up there. I didn't really know him that well and kind of came to the end of our coffee. And, and uh, we said, we, he said, how, how can I pray for you? And I thought, well, I can give one of those typical kind of light answers, you know what I mean? Or I could just Go to the deepest, rawest things I'm struggling with. And so that's what I did. I just kind of laid my anxiety issue on him. I think he was a little shocked. And 
And um, there was just something that happened. I shared it with them. I, I walked away, and honestly, I was questioning, like, man, I don't know if I should have shared it with them. It seemed like a bit much. I think I got a little heavy for them, but I just gave them the straight-up truth of the best way he could pray for me. And in that moment, I was just, I was just praying. And I just, it had been a couple years by that point of really wrestling with how in the world am I going to break through from, from this anxiety, and suddenly it hit me. I need to pray for the corollary of that which is for more trust in God. I mean, it's one thing to pray against anxiety. That's good and right. But I need to be pleading with God to elevate my trust in him. Because I, if I trust him and, and who he is, anxiety's gonna leave. I'm not gonna worry about the things of the world because I'm so consumed with this trust in, in who God is. And that day changed me. That walk back to my rental car changed me. And after that, I came back, shared the story of the brothers in my discipleship group, and just began to pound away at a trust in God. God would just help me trust you more. Help me trust you more. And I think that's one reason God's giving me these experiences the last few years of these times where I just tremble in the presence of God. It's such a sense of his power and his glory and his majesty. Because if we see God for who he is, then everything else is so small. It's just so small. So Hope family, we're okay. You're okay, and I'm okay. And tonight, as we move into our time of prayer in just a moment, I want to encourage us just to go to war at it and bring to God the deepest things of our hearts and our lives and say with the disciples, God, I feel like I'm perishing. I feel like I'm drowning. I feel like I'm dying. My boat is being swamped in because of this issue or that issue. But I'm going to come to you for who you are. And, and I'm not going to worry if I've come to you a thousand times before because I'm coming to you again. And I'm just asking, will you just, will you just get up and, and help me? Teach me what I need to know. And we just heal this. It might be something that you've been dealing with for years. Physical issue that has yet to be healed. It might be a relational strain that you've had for a long time. It might be something that hit you and in 2020 or even 2021, financial uncertainty or whatever it may be. But tonight, I want to encourage us to pray to God, seeing him for who he really is. And we're just going to ask him to move. So let me ask you to stand, music team and our, our prayer team uh, to come. Just a reminder, we're going to have some uh, up at the front. Uh, you can come for prayer also on the side. But really, you can just grab, grab any hopeful in here and let's, let's just pray together and and ask God to move. So whether you are a guest with us, covenant member, we invite you to come. We love this time every service of, of just coming and, and praying and, and leaning in and asking God to do what only he can do. It could be that you've never journeyed with Jesus before. We'd love to talk with you about that and, and warmly encourage you uh, to come. could be that there is any number of things in your heart and whatever it is, uh, we would love to ask God uh, to move. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you that you love us with love we can't even fathom. Forgive us, God, for not seeing you for who you are. Forgive us for drowning in the things of this world. Forgive us for being consumed with lesser things. We pray that right now, right here in this moment, you would engage us and do what only you can do. God, I pray for a, a hope to go swimming through our bodies and to raise up an expectation of what you can do as we lean in on prayer. 
that in this time we wouldn't approach you kind of kind of halfway or, or just at a surface level, but we would crack open our hearts fully to you. And that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would engage us. God, we pray for healing physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and in every way. We pray that you would move in radical power to protect and bless this time and to engage us as only you can. We are hungry for you. God, we just move in us now. We pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.